Chapter One of The Wonderful Bed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wonderful Bed by Gertrude Nevels. Chapter One Aunt Jane's Old Toys. It was beginning to get dark in the big nursery. Outside, the wind howled and the rain beat steadily against the window pane. Rudolph and Ann sat as close to the fire as they could get, waiting for Betsy to bring the lamp. Peter had built himself a comfortable den beneath the table and was having a quiet game of bears with Mittens, the cat, for his cub. Quiet, that is, except for an angry mew now and then from Mittens, who had not enjoyed an easy moment since the arrival of the three children that morning. Rudolph, Ann was saying, as she looked uneasily over her shoulder, I almost wish we hadn't come to stay at Aunt Jane's alone without Mother. I don't believe I like this room. It's so big and creepy. I don't want to go to bed, especially, she added, turning about and pointing into the shadows behind her, especially I don't want to go to bed in that. The big bed in Aunt Jane's old nursery was the biggest and queerest the children had ever seen. It was the very opposite of their little white enameled beds they were used to sleeping in at their apartment in New York, being a great old-fashioned four-poster with a canopy almost touching the ceiling. It was hung with faded chintz, and instead of a mattress it had a billowy feather bed over which were tucked grandmother's hand-spun sheets and blankets, covered by the gayest of quilts in an elaborate pattern of sprigged and spotted calico patches. The two front posts of the bed were of dark, shiny wood, carved in a strange design of twisted leaves and branches, and to Anne, as she looked at them by the leaping, flickering firelight, it seemed as if from between these leaves and branches odd little faces peered and winked at her, vanished, and came again, and yet again. "'Bother!' exclaimed Rudolph so loud that his little sister started. "'It's just a bed, that's all. It'll be jolly fun getting into it. I believe I'll ask if I can't sleep there, too, instead of in the cot. I wanted to take a running jump at it when we first came this morning, but Aunt Jane wouldn't let me with my boots on. She said she made that quilt herself when she was a little girl. We'll all climb in together tonight as soon as Betsy goes and have a game of something. I dare say we'll feel just like raisins in a pudding. All the same, said Anne, I don't think I like it, Rudolph. I wish Betsy would bring the lamp. It was almost dark now, and they could not see but only hear Peter as he came shuffling out of his den, dragging his unhappy cub, and prowled around the darkest corners of the room. Being a bear, he was not at all afraid, but made himself very happy for a while with pouncing and growling, searching for honey, and eating imaginary travelers. Then the cub escaped, and Peter tired of his game. Rudolph and Ann heard him tugging at the door of an old-fashioned cupboard in a far corner of the room, and presently he came over to the fire, carrying a wooden box in his arms. "'Oh, Peter, you naughty boy!' cried Ann. "'You've been at the cupboard, and Aunt Jane said expressly we were not to take anything out of it.' "'You are just like Bluebeard's wife,' began Rudolph, but Peter, as was his way, paid no attention to either of them. He put the box down on the hearthrug and got on his hands and knees to open it. Then, of course, the other two thought they might as well see what there was to see, and all three heads bent over the box. After all, it contained nothing very wonderful, 
the cover itself being the prettiest part, Anne thought, for on it was painted a bright-colored picture of a little girl in a funny high-waisted old-fashioned dress, making a curtsy to a little boy dressed like an old gentleman and carrying a toy ship in his hand. The box was filled with old toys, most of them chipped or broken. There was a very small tea set with at least half of the cups missing, a wooden horse which only possessed three legs, and the remains of a regiment of battered tin soldiers. How funny the box smells, and the toys, too, Anne said. Sort of queer and yet sweet, like Mother's glove case. I think she said it was sandalwood. That set must have been a darling when it was new, but there's only just a speck of blue left, and the gilt is every bit gone. These must be Aunt Jane's toys that she had when she was little. That was a long time ago, remarked Rudolph thoughtfully. I don't see why Aunt Jane didn't throw them away. They're awful trash, I think. Those soldiers aren't bad, but... Just then Anne's sharp eyes caught Peter as he was about to slip away with a little parcel done up in silver paper that had lain all by itself at the very bottom of the box. By this time she and Rudolph had both forgotten that they had no more right than Peter to any of the things in the box, and both threw themselves on their little brother. Peter fought and kicked, but was at last forced to surrender the little parcel. Under the silver paper, which Rudolph hurriedly tore off, was layer after layer of pink tissue enfolding something, which the boy, when he came to it at last, tossed on the floor in his disgust. "'Pshaw!' he exclaimed. "'It's nothing in the world but an old corn-cob!' "'Yes, it is, too,' said Anne, picking it up. "'It's a doll, the funniest old doll I ever saw.' And a strange little doll she was, made out of nothing more or less than a withered corn-cob, her face, such a queer little face, painted on it, and her hair and dress made very cleverly out of the corn-shucks. Anne burst out laughing as she looked at the old doll, and turning to her new children, Marie Louise and Angelina Elfreda, which her mother had given her for Christmas, she placed the two beauties on the hearthrug, one on each side of the corncob, just to see the difference. This seemed to make Peter very cross. He tried his best to snatch away the old doll, but Rudolph, to tease him, held him off with one hand, while with the other he seized the poor creature by her long braids and swung her slowly over the fire. "'Wouldn't it be fun, Anne,' said he, "'to see how quick she'd burn?' "'Oh, you mustn't, Rudolph,' Anne cried. "'Aunt Jane mightn't like it. "'I shouldn't be surprised if she'd punish you.' At that, Rudolph lowered the old doll almost into the blaze, and she would most certainly have burned up, she was so very dry and crackly, if at that very moment Aunt Jane had not come into the room and snatched her out of his hand. Rudolph never remembered to have seen Aunt Jane so vexed before. Her blue eyes flashed and her cheeks were quite pink under her silver-colored hair. He expected she would scold, but she didn't. She only said, "'Oh, Rudolph!' in a rather unpleasant way, and then, after she had carefully restored the corncob doll to her wrappings, she knelt down and began to gather up the old toys which the children had scattered over the hearthrug. Anne and Rudolph helped her, and Peter, who, though a very mischievous little boy, was always honest, confessed that he had been the one to open the old cupboard and take out the box. He seemed to feel rather uncomfortable about it, and after the things had been put away, he climbed upon Aunt Jane's lap and hid his head upon her shoulder. "'Never mind, Peter, dear,' she said, holding him very tight. "'I always meant to show you my old toys some day. 
I dare say you children think it strange that I have kept such shabby things so long, but when I was a little girl I did not have such beautiful toys as you have now, and the few I had I loved very dearly. "'Was this your nursery, Aunt Jane?' Anne asked. "'Yes, dear. I slept all alone in the big bed, and I kept my toys always in the old cupboard. I spent many and many an hour curled up on that window seat playing with my doll.' Yes, I did have others, Anne, but I think I loved the corncob doll best of all, perhaps because she was the least beautiful. Didn't you have any little boys to play with? Rudolph asked. Other boys beside father and Uncle Jim, I mean. There was one little boy who came sometimes, Aunt Jane said. He lived in the nearest house to ours, so that was a mile away. Those were his tin soldiers you saw in the box. He gave them to me to keep for him when he went away to school and thought himself too big to play at soldiers any more. And when he came back from school, did he used to come and see you? Yes, he used to come every summer till he got big. And what did the little boy do when he got big, Aunt Jane? When he got big, said Aunt Jane slowly, looking very hard into the fire, he went away to sea. Oh-ho! cried Rudolph, and when he came back, what did he bring you? He never did come back, said Aunt Jane, and she bent her head low over Peter so that the children should not see how shiny wet her eyes were. Anne and Rudolph did see, however, and politely forced back the dozen questions trembling on the tips of their tongues about the different ways there were of being lost at sea. Rudolph, in particular, would have liked to know whether it was a hurricane, or sharks, or pirates, or a nice desert island that had been the end of that little boy, and he was about to begin his questioning in a roundabout manner by asking whether sea serpents had often been known to swallow ships whole, when the door opened and in came Betsy, Aunt Jane's old servant. She had the lamp in one hand and the great brass warming pan with which she always warmed the big bed in the other. Her arrival disturbed the pleasant group by the nursery fire and reminded Aunt Jane that it was the children's bedtime. She kissed them good night, heard them say their prayers, and then went quickly away, leaving Betsy to help them undress. Now this was rather unwise of Aunt Jane, for Betsy and the children did not get on. She was one of those uncomfortable persons who refused to understand how a little conversation makes undressing so much less unpleasant. She was not inclined to give Rudolph any information on the subject of sea serpents, nor would she listen to Anne's remarks on how much more fashionable hot water bottles were than warming pans. She had even no sympathy for Peter when he wished to be considered a diver going down to the bottom of the sea after gold instead of a little boy being bathed in a tin tub. Betsy had a horrid way of scrubbing, being none too careful about soap in people's eyes, and Peter came out dreadfully clean. Feeling that he needed comforting of some sort, he looked about for mittens, and discovered him at last taking a much-needed nap behind the sofa. Squeezing the weary cat carefully under one arm, Peter began to climb by the aid of a chair into the big bed. Betsy caught sight of him and guessed his plan. Poor little Peter's hopes were dashed. "'No, you don't, Master Peter,' she snapped at him. "'You don't take no cats to bed with you. Not in this house.' and she grabbed Mittens away very roughly, set him outside the door, and shut it with a bang. After she had tucked the bedclothes firmly about the little boy, she turned her attention to Rudolph and Anne, evidently thinking Peter was settled for the night, which shows just how much Betsy knew about him. 
Peter waited patiently till she was in the depths of an argument with Rudolph, who was trying vainly to make her understand that the dirt upon his face was merely the effect of his dark complexion. Then Peter slipped out of bed, darted out of the door, and returned in a moment or two with the unhappy mittens once more a prisoner beneath his arm. This time he managed to conceal the cat from Betsy's sharp eyes. At last all three children were in the big bed, Rudolph having refused to consider sleeping in the cot, and Betsy, after a gruff good night, departed, carrying the lamp with her. Now that the room was in darkness, except for the flickering light of the dying fire, Anne's fears began to come back to her. She sat up in bed and peered around her into the dark corners. I, I wish Betsy had left the light, she said, but it would have been no use asking her. Not a scrap, said Rudolph. Not that I mind the dark, he added hastily. I rather like it. Only don't let's lie still and, and listen for things. Let's play something. Shall we try who can keep their eyes shut longest, suggested Anne. Oh, that's a stupid game. Besides, Peter would beat anyway, for he's half asleep now. Shake him up, Anne. When shaken up, Peter refused to admit that he was even sleepy. He was very cross, and immediately began to accuse Rudolph of having taken his cat. This Rudolph and also Anne denied. They had seen Peter smuggle mittens into bed the second time, but had supposed he must have escaped and followed Betsy out. "'No, he didn't neither,' Peter insisted. "'I had him after she went. He was most tamed.' "'Then,' said Anne, "'he must be in the room, and we might as well have him to play with. Rudolph, I dare you to get up and look for him.' and Rudolph got up, just to show he was not afraid. Before stepping into those dark shadows, however, he armed himself with his tin sword, a weapon he was in the habit of taking to bed with him in case of burglars, and with this he poked bravely under the bed and in all the dark corners, calling and coaxing Mittens to come forth. At last both he and Anne felt sure the cat could not be in the room. "'He must have got out somehow,' said Rudolph. "'Anyhow, I shan't bother any more looking for him.' Still grasping his sword, he climbed back into the big bed between his brother and sister. Peter was still cross and grumbly. He kept insisting that Mittens might have disappeared inside the bed, which was a piece of nonsense neither of the others would listen to. After some discussion, Rudolph and Anne agreed that the very nicest thing to do would be to make a tent out of the bedclothes, and seeing Peter was again inclined to nod, they shook him awake and sternly insisted on his joining in the game. By tying the two upper corners of the covers to the posts at the head of the great bed, a splendid tent was quickly made, bigger than any the children had ever played in before, so big that Rudolph, who was to lead the procession into its white depths, began to feel just the least little bit afraid. Of what he hardly knew. How high the white walls rose. Not like a snugly bed tent, but like, like a real white-walled cave. Being a brave boy, he quickly put these unpleasant thoughts out of his mind, and grasping his sword, crawled on his hands and knees into the dark opening. Behind him came Anne, and behind Anne, Peter. "'Are you ready?' asked Rudolph. "'Then in we go!' End of chapter 1